welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax. Tyler Smith is not here. As you probably know by now, Tyler Smith is in the midst of some very serious um, medical issues. Um, it's it's um, uh, it's scary, and um, it's going to be a long road. Um, if you want to know more about it and... Um, more importantly, if you want to help out, you know, um, how expensive medical care is in, in the United States, uh, you could do both of those things at, um, caringbridge.com slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. Um, and from there you can find the link to the GoFundMe, which is where you can, you could donate. So it's caringbridge dot. Did I say com or org? No, I'm second guessing myself. Is caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. Caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. Um, you can find everything you want, you need to know there. And again, you can donate to the GoFundMe. Um, please do that if you can. If you if you can spare anything, it will help um, Tyler and his and his amazing family, his his wife and his two uh, kids. Um, stay on their feet and and help Tyler get back on his feet as quickly as possible so he can get back here and talk movies with y'all so you don't have to just listen to me Um, it is just me this week Uh, generally the main episodes won't be just me Um, generally um, uh, I'll I'll be um, joined by uh, by someone else often often Scott but uh, this week we had I had a guest planned and and he had to drop out kind of kind of last minute um uh so it's just gonna be me so this is probably gonna be a short one you lucky sums of bitches um uh but first i want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great and they sound great and tyler and i use them each and every day um today i was using them to listen to the uh new album by a a dutch sort of uh a pop punk type of band um called snowcoats and their album is called "If It Wasn't Me, I Would Have Called It Funny," and uh, it's really good. I couldn't get enough of it. Listened to it multiple times, actually, uh, and it sounded great on my TweakedAudio.com earbuds that are available at a low, low price. At a low, low price at TweakedAudio.com, but if you use the offer code Pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to TweakedAudio.com and use the offer code Pretension. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, we're back. Let's get into it, shall we? I am here to tell you what I saw at this year's Toronto International Film Festival. We call it TIFF. From here on out, I'm probably going to call it TIFF, but you know, I don't want to sound like I'm throwing around industry lingo, talking shop, you know, um, uh, speaking in code here. So, you know, when I say TIFF, it means Toronto International Film Festival. And uh, yeah, um, I'll say it right up front. If you're coming here to find out what did David think of the whale? What are David's thoughts on the Fablemans? What? Uh, <laughs> I can't think of any other. The Woman King. If you're if you're looking for any of those, um, I I skipped those types of movies this year, and it wasn't like I was planning on seeing all three of those. Um, it, it wasn't some. Um, big stance i was taking to towards seeing uh more under the radar stuff uh if you've been on like film critic twitter uh or if you were on film critic twitter in the days leading up to tiff this year you might know that the tiff ticketing system was all kinds of fucked up and uh i didn't get tickets to a lot of the big stuff and i found i, I from that twitter i re- i learned later that like 
I could, you know, I could call and get the tickets I wanted and try and switch them, but um, um, I decided I would leave that f- for the professional critics who need it more, and I would stick mostly to smaller stuff. So I've mostly stuck to, to smaller stuff, uh, mostly to good effect, also to some bad effects. But we're going to start with one of the good ones. We're going to start with Gabriella Copperthwaite's The Grab. Gabriella Copperthwaite uh made is best known for the documentary blackfish um about SeaWorld and and uh orcas um uh she's also made non-fiction films like uh, the friend which i or i think it ended up being called our friend when it came out but when i saw it it was called the friend um which i liked and uh but the grab finds her fully back in in documentary mode uh this time the subject is it's sort of a worldwide movement toward wealthy nations buying land in other nations sometimes other wealthy nations to uh grow their own food or cultivate their own water uh and this is nations looking down the line at climate change and how things are going to become more scarce and and sort of trying to get a a foothold uh, ahead of time um often at the expense of 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 locals or of people in 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 the cases when these are poorer countries um the poorer people when they're even when they're richer countries like saudi arabia buying land in arizona to grow hay to ship back to saudi arabia to feed their cattle um it's still lower income americans who are who are suffering who are having their local water sources uh dried up by by the saudis um this is happening all over and uh it's only going to get worse it's uh, you know food shortages and, and food supplies are going to be dictating um uh, a lot of geopolitics uh in the future and, and this, ar- this movie argue, argues they already are um it's it's upsetting but it's also there's also some surreal stuff there's a, a, a section in the movie about russia um looking at like uh okay our north which has been like frozen almost tundra for so long is gonna it's gonna melt as climate change goes on and that's gonna be arable land and we should grow cattle and so let's hire american cowboys to come over and teach russians how to like rope and wrestle <laughs> and uh, uh cattle and, and ride horses and and so there's like a russian rodeo they go to it's like surreal uh but the movie so the movie is sobering um but it's also in some ways it could also be seen as a movie about investigative journalism what investigative journalists because it's the center for investigative journalism i think is uh, the subjects of the movie um what they what they do and and what it takes um uh for them to uh uh track down these kind of cases and, and take something as as huge and and changing and and nebulous as as this and and make a single story that people can understand out of it um yeah so the grab really good next up um oh i should have the director's names at the ready especially as we get into uh uh non-english language stuff so um next up for me is Kleiner Palmason's Godland. Godland? Um, it's an Icelandic film um, about a uh, Danish priest in the 1800s uh, who journeys to a remote um, Icelandic island to build a church and, and to be the local uh, priest in this in this church. Um, and it's from the director of A White White Day, um, an Icelandic movie from 20. 20- 19 2020 uh that i thought was amazing and uh yeah it turns out not a fluke godland is also really powerful stuff um it's loosely apparently inspired by a set of like photographic plates that were discovered in iceland um and so the priest in this movie is a uh amateur photographer who brings a a big 1800 style like camera set up with him and takes pictures as he goes uh, and that's uh, and, and so i guess this plot was kind of like reverse engineered from these pictures um 
and uh, um, and so Palmerston presents the movie, I think, kind of as a nod to that old time photography uh, uh, way. He presents the movie in one three three to one, but like in that full aperture way of like you actually see the 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 corners of the screen are 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 curved. Um, so I guess to to sort of uh, not a nod to the um, photographic roots of uh, of the movie, um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's again, it's a like a white white day. It's it's not only beautifully shot, it's not self consciously beautifully shot. It's it it feels beautiful because it feels like Kleiner Palmason is already establishing himself as someone who has a distinct point of view that um um the way that he sees the world and the way that we're able to see the world through his movies is is his own and is is slightly different and and there are um uh things like um that i guess i'm dancing around the word auteur but i think that's what he's making a case for himself as because it's not just that about how the movie looks but there are preoccupations with um the the passage of time um and things that uh are changed by time and things that are not changed by time um that seems to to come up in both a white white day and godland it comes up both in the in the text you know in in the the, the narrative but also in the way the movie is shot and the way the images are presented there's a um a clear interest in the passage of time uh in 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 sequences that we see it's it's really fantastic and the um i don't remember the name of the main actor uh, elliot crossett hove is the the main actor but uh ingvar sigurdsson uh the who is the main character main actor in, in a white white day um is the the Icelandic sort of guide that the priest hires to uh, to take him across the the the, the countryside? Um, so it's great to see him uh, uh, again, and then also um, even the little girl from White White Day shows up, uh, and she's uh, hilarious actually in Godland, which is not really a funny movie, but she has some of the 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 funniest stuff, uh, you know, when she. Uh, there's a scene of her posing for a picture on a horse and she keeps wanting to do like in the day this is like pre-instagram but she's clearly in the mode of like let's do a silly one <laughs> and he's a very serious photographer who's trying to document the people of this place and he can't abide her like doing goofy faces or poses but she keeps trying to anyway it's a great little sequence and some levity in a, mo- in a movie that is nearly two and a half hours and um often very heavy but beautiful to look at godland okay all right that's two let me take a drink of water Okay, uh, this next movie I could talk about for two seconds or two hours, but it's great. Um, it's a documentary called De... Um, okay, hold on. I don't, I don't know Latin. De Humani Corporis Fabrica, um, which I guess is what the human body is made of. I don't know. Why am I trying to guess what this uh, this is? Uh, it's directed by Lucien Castaigne-Taylor and Verena Paravel, who are... Um, best known for <clears throat> documentaries like um Canniba, which i didn't see and then leviathan not the russian movie leviathan or the 80s movie leviathan the 2012 documentary about a fishing boat uh which is one of the best movies of the 2010s if you ask me um uh, didn't make the didn't make the book uh the battleship retention book but um uh uh yeah so their new one De Humani Corporis Fabrica is shot in hospitals and is mostly a documentary about surgery. Uh, and it. So they shoot surgeries, but also um, in the same way that they kind of like uh, uh, used those weird little disposable flying cameras for Leviathan, um, they. Uh, for this they take footage from like surgical cameras that are inserted into people's bodies there's a lot of 
a lot of shots that take place inside people's bodies um, or outside people's bodies as we're watching things be put into or taken out of people's bodies. I should warn you right now, the movie um, had me cringing and like grabbing my head, if you can picture that, like um, uh, putting my hands on the side of my head a lot, uh, more than most like straightforward horror movies. The, the movie is very graphic. Um, that's not a complaint for me, but it is a warning for those who are uh, bothered by that. Um, uh, it's it's very it's not only very graphic, but there's also close-ups of surgery on parts of the body that people tend to be particularly sensitive about, like eyeballs and penises. Um, so it's um, it's it's not for the faint of heart the, this movie, but it is oddly funny but not that's not the goal the a lot of the surgeries we're seeing the audio we're hearing is what the surgeons and nurses and people present are talking it's just live audio of them conducting the surgeries we're seeing the inside of a person's body but we're hearing them argue about like administrative gripes (laughs) at the hospital um but they talk about other things too and so it is like it's funny but it's also we're looking inside the human body in a very like cold way where it's detached from the personality of the people being operated upon but it's also a constant reminder of the people doing the operating despite all this machinery at their uh at their uh i don't know i'm losing my vocabulary um uh uh, this machinery they use, they are also human beings. Uh, disposals, at, the, at their disposal. Um, they are also human beings, too, in, in ways that are uh, fallible and sometimes frustrating and sometimes funny um, and so often very um, relatable. Um, and I, I think the movie sometimes shows... You know, I, it sometimes shows people being what if we didn't have any other context we'd be see, we'd say like why is that person being so callous this is a human life human body but we see how this is also every day to them they're still doing the work they're still trying to save people and preserve dignity and 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 preserve life um and if they happen to be petty while they're doing it or distracted in some ways maybe um who like uh, how what can you expect they are human beings um uh, it's a really a fascinating movie uh but again not for the weak of heart um a complete 180 in many ways uh i saw a finnish movie called sisu um from director yalmari hellander who made rare exports that's mostly what i know him from so that's a very like schlocky uh b movie and that's exactly what sisu is too it's a world war ii movie but it is about a lone finnish man who is a prospector and is beset upon by an entire company of Nazis as they are retreating, having lost the war. And uh, he, it's, you know, it's a pulpy, uh, almost comic book style uh, uh, movie about one grizzled old man taking on all these Nazis. Um, And uh, if you're into that sort of thing, which I kind of am, I, it's it's very enjoyable. It's, It's big, it's, it's, it's bloody, it's ridiculous. Um, he does seem to become literally superhuman at some points. Um, but if you're, if you're on board for that kind of, that kind of pulpiness and also who doesn't like seeing Nazis get killed, right? Um, that's what the movie is. One thing the movie gets very much right is, um, uh, I'll tell you right now, all, there are multiple dogs in the movie. All the dogs survive. They're fine. The dogs are not, not touched. The Nazis are massacred. <laughs> the movie at least has its priorities in order as far as that goes. Um, okay, I need some more water. I'm sorry to keep doing this. Uh, next movie for me, one of, one of the ones I was really looking forward to, and it did not disappoint, um, the new movie from 
who I think is one of the greatest directors working today. I don't think that's um, a surprise or that's not going to shock anybody to hear me say that about the Iranian director, Jafar Panahi. I, I love his movies and I, I make a point of seeing them. This is the second time I've seen him in one of his movies at TIFF. I saw Three Faces at TIFF. Um, this one is called No Bears. Um, and uh, as has happened in, I think, all of the movies that Jafar Panahi has made since he got banned from making movies um he plays himself in in the movie and in this case he is uh directing a movie that is being shot in turkey but he uh as this is true the real life jafar panahi is not allowed to leave the country of iran um and so he has set up shop in he's rented a little shack little room in a town an iranian town on the turkish border and is directing via zoom um and uh and of course uh he can't help but not i don't mean that he can't help but get involved in the local politics it uh, i think the movie makes the case that someone like him i think the movie is so much about his situation um the restrictions the government has put on him but it's also a movie that is about his privilege as a pretty well-off man in um in iranian society uh and and uh the movie often makes the case that like a lot of iranians for various reasons are in similar positions that he's in they're stuck where they are they can't leave uh for all kinds of different reasons he doesn't like belittle his own problems with the government um this isn't like a you know he's, he's not having like a, a this isn't a check your privilege type movie i don't know i used the word privilege uh earlier but it's it's more just a big picture of like what the government does to people in all at all various walks of life and um economic levels and and genders and uh uh all of these things um Oh, there's something else. But, 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 oh, yeah, what I was saying is that, like, when I say he can't help but get involved, the presence of a wealthy person driving a nice, he drives like a Land Rover or whatever, um, in this tiny Iranian hamlet can't help but shake things up. Um, and, and so it's, uh, uh, the, the movie is, it's maybe more specifically about, his situation than any movie he's made since the ban but um it's also a movie that says don't don't just focus on me when you're talking about the problems in iran um anyway that's that's what the movie's about but uh it's also got that jafar panahi thing that that like that that incredible like patience but that not in the way that feels slow it just feels like the movie is uh relaxed a lot of his movies feel relaxed it's in such a way that like things get out of hand before you even realize it, and people are, are shouting and yelling at one another and threatening violence um and the movie has just like proceeded at its own by its own logic at its own pace uh and um there's something very human and and often often quite funny uh, about his his movies um but uh uh tragic too and and this movie definitely has has that uh all right next movie that i watched and this one was a consolation prize for me not because of the tiff ticketing thing but because tiff moved and i now understand why they moved and then later canceled the press and industry screening of vera drew's the people's joker there was my plan to see the people's joker uh after no bears that got moved so instead i um went to see a uh a canadian uh comic coming of age period piece called i like movies set in i think 2002 in uh burlington ontario which uh, we learn um, canadians know but the viewers learn is outside of toronto a little bit um and it's about a high school senior who's a budding cinephile, um, but in a way that, uh, in many ways, this movie was, in many ways, fun. In many ways, not fun. This movie was relatable to me, 
um, as someone who's only a few years older, a couple of years older, um, maybe only like a year older than the character would be. Um, uh, and uh, he gets a job at a video store and having worked at video stores at the, this exact time and seeing like a lot of the exact same DVDs on the shelf was, was a lot of fun. And, and the idea of like having to, uh, you know, um, promote the, the special edition DVD release of Shrek. Like it's just reminded me very much of, um, my, uh, immediate post high school years. Uh, uh, but also there's the kind of ugliness of the, um, the kind of misanthrope who maybe becomes a cinephile and become, and that becomes their identity of someone who like, I know more about this thing than other people. Um, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm better because of it or other people are less good than I am, less worthy than I am because they don't know, they don't know movies the way that I do. Um, the movie has, it has all of that, but I think there's some really funny stuff in the movie too. I, I like, I, I really like walk the line of like how, how good is this movie? Um, uh, it's very funny. Like I love there's two things that are funny in the same scene the idea of a young cinephile dragging his non-cinephile friend to go see punch drunk love is is funny and kind of relatable maybe not that specific movie for me but still kind of a relatable thing um the idea of him walking up to the ticket counter and saying two for paul thomas anderson's punch drunk love please is maybe not relatable i wasn't that up my ass but it's still very funny there's a lot of funny stuff like that in in the movie but i also think the movie is maybe a little bit too sanded down a little bit too um sweet natured to uh be as acerbic or to fully uh acknowledge the toxicity of this character um or the sadness of, of his his life, um, which it seems to want to. Maybe it's because I can't help but compare it to Owen Klein's Funny Pages, which that's about a budding cartoonist, not a cinephile, but still a very similar type of thing. And, th- and that movie, I think, uh, is really able to go in on how much of a prick that character can be um, in, in the sadness. It, it goes much deeper than I like movies, and so I, it, it suffers from that comparison it's a little bit too uh formulaic and mainstream to really cut as much as it wants to but it's still like i said it has some funny stuff um chandler levac is the or levac i'm not sure is the uh the name of the director um okay moving right along to the new film from uh one of the major names of the romanian new wave uh Christian Monjou. His new film is called RMN. Hold on. Um, if the movie said what that stands for, I missed it. Um, but uh, maybe it's just short for Romania in some way. Uh, but this is another... I mean, this guy, Christian Monjou, he just can't seem to make bad movies. Everything he makes is, is great. And this is another one... Um, it's about a um, um, a uh, I guess uh, Roma uh, or, or I guess partially Roma man who uh, who lives in a um, small town in Romania that is full of some other Roma like him, but also native Romanians, Hungarians, Germans. Um, uh, people of a lot of different nationalities and and, and, and national identities um, who live in this small town together. But then uh, the local, the biggest, the factory in town, which is a factory bakery, makes uh, bread in huge quantities, uh, hires and then and lodges um, a few men from Sri Lanka. Um who come across as part of like a um, program with the EU? They get some sort of like tax break or something. It's I, I don't entirely understand the finance, economics of it all um, for for hiring these men and they're paying the minimum wage. 
and um, suddenly this town that, like I said, has a lot of different people, a lot of different backgrounds, but all pretty white. Suddenly there's these non-white men in the town and um, the vitriol and the disgusting racism and um, nationality and xenophobia and jingoism, all these things that all come from similar places uh, start to 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 pop up and um, the town um, starts to lose its mind Um, and it sounds it all sounds very um, didactic I think when I describe it uh, that way is it's like a movie about it's about a lot of the same things that bad luck banging was about um but it's um a very different uh, approach obviously but uh to say that it's a movie about like the problems with uh romanian culture in the in the present day uh makes it sound dry it's um a very fraught and emotional and and human movie um and again as with as is true of most good movies no matter what they're about it is not without a sense of humor uh if i remember there's a very specific reason i'm saying that um but i I might forget about it by the time we get to the movie that i'm saying it because of but um uh that's christian munju's rmn one of the best movies i've seen this year Let's move on to the new movie from Joanna Hogg, who made The Souvenir and The Souvenir Part 2. Before that, she made things like Archipelago and Exhibition. Uh, her new movie is called The Eternal Daughter. And uh, reunites her once again with Tilda Swinton, this time in a challenging dual role. Um, Tilda Swinton plays the character who is clearly based on Joanna Hogg and also that character's mother. Um, uh, the premise is that uh, she has brought her mother... Um, on a trip small trip for her now i can't remember what the occasion is birthday i can't remember yeah it's birthday um for her birthday brought her to a trip to this small hotel that actually used to be a mansion that was in her family and so this her mom has memories of spending summers there as a little girl in like the 1940s or whatever um and uh uh they they go back and, and stay at this hotel till this one plays both the characters. But what I haven't hinted at yet and what makes the movie particularly fascinating and fun is that it also owes quite a debt to scary old dark house horror movies, ghost stories. There are, um, a lot of unexplained noises. There are faces in windows. Um, there's a, general sense of dread and bad omens hanging over over the place um but how much of that is real and how much of that is brought up by the memories that uh the main character is asking her mother to dredge up you know memories are memories ghosts uh and um uh yeah fantastic performances from from tilda swinton again as i keep saying not a comedy but often very funny which is true of the souvenir movies too movies too um uh, it has a lot of the same look i mean i guess that's again that auteur thing like it, it looks like another joanna hogg movie it's it's in 166 and there's um the, the the images are uh striking but unfussy at the same time there's a a um paler uh color palette to most of the movie especially in the daytime scenes and then it gets it gets darker and inkier at night as as any ghost story should uh but um yeah i really enjoyed it uh, the eternal daughter joanna hogg um next up oof, richard Ayer's alleluia not hallelujah with an h this is alleluia with an a uh and uh guys this movie is bad and it's it's bad in normal ways and then 
I won't even say why because it's technically a spoiler, but then it becomes bad in a crazy way at the end. Um, but it's uh, a, I guess it's a uh, version of the British village movies, which I tend to like um, about a village banding together, but it's like a uh, dotty, uh, <laughs> a dreary version. It doesn't think it is, but it's like it thinks it's inspirational, but it's boring and dull and gray. Um, and uh, I mean, it has a good cat. It's got um, Judy Dench and um, oh, who am I drawing a blank on? It has Judy Dench and David Bradley. Um, there's another big name that I'm missing. Jennifer Saunders is is in it. Oh, Derek Jacoby is the other big name. Uh, in it. It's essentially uh, uh, Best Exotic Marigold Hospital because it takes place at uh, a hospital that is being. It's an old hospital that's you know it's 125 years old or something, and but it's being shuttered by the NHS because it's not profitable enough to to run it. But the the staff and the patients and the townsfolk want to try and save the hospital um and it's i i want to give the movie credit for being like um an advocacy for the 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 good of uh state-run healthcare uh when it's not run by bottom line numbers business type people when it's actually run by people who want to use the government to help people um as opposed to uh only seeing the value in something is in as much as it is profitable i i politically i want to advocate for the movie but it's just so dumb and bad and treacly and condescending uh and cynical and i it's just uh not my kind of movie not for me folks uh all right another drink of water Next up, movie I knew almost nothing about. I'm so glad I saw it. Um, because this this is another one that, given the subject matter, could be another stodgy, predictable, formulaic, awards baity type movie. It's directed by um, Stephen Williams. It's called Chevalier. Um, and it is based on the true story of a... Uh, uh, composer violinist and a member of the court of louis the 16th who was very close to marie antoinette and um was also a black man uh and whose whose whose, whose story has not been told um extensively in in the past um the the massively talented kelvin Har- kelvin harrison jr plays um uh joseph Ballone is his name uh lucy boynton plays marie antoinette samara weaving plays um i guess the love interest but she's more than that mini driver shows up as an opera singer and the movie is again like i talk about you know historical biopics especially ones that are like you know seem like they're groundbreaking or trying to ground break ground often feel very dry and pandering um and samey uh this movie has so much energy to it so much verve a lot of it comes from the music which is absolutely beautiful and also from the cast that i just mentioned who are also absolutely beautiful by the way um but a lot of it also comes from the costumes uh i couldn't stop marveling at how great everyone looked in every scene and it's all a bunch of rich people so they have endless amounts of uh uh uh, ornate outfits of multiple layers and colors and fabrics and uh uh, stitches and and wigs and uh fascinators and just there's so much that the clothes are are so great the the movie is uh an absolute delight um i definitely hope a lot of people see it when it when it comes out um so chevalier really liked it that was a very lucky you know i didn't get into the fablemans so i saw chevalier instead and uh you know i might i'll probably end up liking the fablemans more based on the reviews but so excuse me so glad i saw chevalier 
All right. Uh, next movie, and absolutely my favorite movie of the festival, and probably my favorite 2022 movie um, uh, at all, uh, Alice Diop's Saint Omer. Uh, Alice Diop is a documentarian, um, but this is her first uh, movie that is not a documentary. Um, um, it's uh, about a it's, it's about a, a Senegalese French woman who is um, in France and becomes obsessed with this sort of like scandalous tabloidy trial about another Senegalese woman who is on trial for the murder of her baby, which she did. She's not denying that she did it, but she's pleading that it wasn't her fault. I don't know. Insanity, but she calls it sorcery. There's um, uh, a, a, a lot of that. Um, and, uh, but the, the, the movie is so it's hypnotic because so much of it is just long shots of people talking. It's it's a courtroom drama, but not in the gussied up, falsified way generally that we um, come to expect from you know John Grisham type <laughs> uh, stories. It's uh, a movie in which people give testimony at length, or prosecutors or defense attorneys argue, make their arguments. They don't argue. It's not like there's not a lot of fireworks of people going back and forth. There's like just long question answering you know detail uh uh detailing <laughs> um uh and we continually come back to our main character um who um by Kaiji Kagame uh who is just watching and what I think, where I think the um, the narrative arc, the character arc, the dynamism of the movie comes from, without like spelling these things out, where it comes from is our developing understanding of why she's watching, why is she so obsessed with this trial? We know that she's. Uh, an academic of classic literature and that um, the connections to the play Medea uh, have uh, a lot um, to do with her with her interest but what keeps her what really keeps her coming back how invested can she can she be and so much of this comes across in just silent performance watching or going on walks during the lunch breaks of the of the trial um uh, and the case itself is this you know it it doesn't have to gussy up the fact that it's a child murder case it can be straightforward about that and it's still very fascinating and scandalous because uh as we know from tabloids here the any story of a woman uh, a mother murdering her own child is um something that's hard to look away from uh and so the movie plays into that because we are also watching um and uh i I do tend to like movies about people watching things and watching other people um because i as a uh as a cinephile are i am often doing the the same thing um to say nomer is absolutely intoxicating and trancing it's impossible to look away from uh it's the movie of the festival and potentially the movie of the year for me okay moving on to john hyams sick uh i said john hyams is what the name that got me in the door uh as the as the director of this movie but the screenplay is by kevin williamson so it's a great pairing um of uh, people that I'm interested in, um, me Kevin Williamson maybe isn't is past his heyday, but uh, this is a great uh, fun screenplay, and um, uh, John Hyams continuing to branch out from from action. You know, a couple of years ago he made Alone, which is sort of a a thriller. Sick is a home invasion horror movie, 
um they're played at midnight i um the last time i went to tiff was in 2019 and i didn't do any midnight madness and i regretted it uh because as i've said on the podcast before tiff 2018 the midnight madness screening of climax is like a top five theatrical experience ever for me uh and midnight madness is the most fun thing at at tiff if you like you know uh uh genre movies and gory gory movies and and uh and stuff like that and you like staying up till midnight to to see a movie uh you're gonna see with a great fun crowd and uh uh, so that's enough about Midnight Madness itself. Let's talk about Sick, which is not just a home invasion horror movie, but it is a COVID home invasion horror movie. It takes place in April of 2020. Two friends, two college girls, one of whom is a rich kid, they go to her parents' cabin in the woods to to wait out the quarantine. But then while they're there, there's some creeps in black mask, or a, a creep in a black mask, um... Uh, who um, uh, shows up and starts terrorizing them. Um, And uh, I don't want to say too much, but Kevin Williamson, in terms of dialogue, uh, there's a lot of funny dialogue, but also in terms of plotting and surprise, he's got, he's he's sort of, he's back, baby. Um, And... uh, um, it's a movie in which I mentioned that it's a COVID movie and obviously COVID is part of the premise, the setup, but without giving anything away, I will say it is very, um, clever and entertaining and, and, and surprising the way that COVID comes back into the story as it, as it goes on, um, in such a way that I, this isn't a complaint for me, but I could see people, um, saying the movie is being insensitive COVID is still ongoing thousands of people across the world are still dying every day from from COVID um is it too early to laugh about it um uh, but uh um we'll see uh, how people react to that I can just say the movie is a lot of fun and John Hyams just in his 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 um his awareness of the mechanics of telling a story visually and how we know where everything is and how an object that comes into play early in the movie gets discarded in a certain place and we are without like laying it on too thick we are it it occasionally comes back into the frame and just in enough of a way to remind us that it's there so that when it pays off in the final act, uh, it's satisfying and doesn't feel like it came out of left left field. We know what that thing is and why it's there. And that's just one example that I'm not even really giving because I'm trying to avoid spoilers. But uh, he's just a, a, a really um, uh, thoughtful and meticulous uh, filmmaker when it comes to this kind of tense stuff. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's sick. <clears throat> A home stretch, guys. Only three more movies. Next up for me is the new film from Mary Heron, which I saw at 8.30 a.m. the morning after seeing Sick at Midnight. So, um... I... I, uh... I hadn't, um... Oof, uh, I hadn't slept much, but, uh... What can I say? It's Mary Heron, and I show up for Mary Heron. Um, it's called Dolly Land... Um, ben Kingsley plays Salvador Dali in his latter days and in, in the mid mid 1970s, um, and uh, the point of view character here um, is played by a guy named Christopher Briney, um, kind of a newcomer, I guess, um, and and he plays a, a guy who gets hired. He's an assistant at a gallery, but then he uh, gets hired by Dali directly to be his assistant while he's staying in New York and working on a a, a show there. And uh, um, yeah, he gets kind of um, uh, dragged into the world of Dali, the Dali land. Uh, but I think Mary Heron is a, is a 
director who can be very blunt in terms of her imagery. Not I don't mean ham handed or ham fisted. She's not she's not that. But um there's not a lot of dancing around her obfuscation, which makes her uh um a a great storyteller to tell this story which is about in many ways demystifying art the creation of art the people who make it it it's it's about how like with the humani corporis fabrica it's maybe about how these are people and they're fallible and also when they're successful they get catered to in a way that maybe turns their brains a little sour and rotten um and it demystifies art while never losing the fact that art lovers will never stop being drawn to the things that they mystify no matter what they no matter how much they know no matter what we know about an artist about a creator about a performer those of us who really love the art form itself will never be able to fully let go of the mystique uh, around it um uh speaking of <laughs> performers that um uh are troubling to to people um ezra miller shows up in flashbacks as young dolly it's a very small part and he i would say he's quite good in it but um uh, obviously, he's uh, a troubling figure to, to many people. All right, next up, if you thought, as I did, I left Alleluia saying, well, that's the worst movie I'm going to see at this festival. I'm not going to see anything worse than Alleluia. Oh, my God. I did. I did see something worse. I saw a movie called The Good Nurse, directed by Tobias Lindholm, who made a hijacking in a war. Um, and this is... I mean, it is just, it is the kind of movie that, it's one of the one of the kinds of movie that people talk about when they talk about, like, uh, self-important prestige awards bait type of movies. Um, Eddie Redmayne, of course, uh, plays Charles Cullen, a real-life um, serial killer, uh, arguably the most prolific serial killer in American history, um, uh, a, a nurse who... Um, was killing patients by injecting them with medications that would kill them. Uh, and Jessica Chastain, who is actually our lead character, is a fellow nurse at one of the hospitals he, he worked at uh, who sort of ends up leading to his capture. Um, but this is why I was saying earlier with like things like RMN and Eternal Daughter and No Bears that no matter how... Um, dour someone's uh, uh, no matter how dour a movie subject matter is great movies most great movies find some ways to be funny because that's a big part of how we deal with life how, how we experience things is is and, and how we connect to other people is by laughing and it's a good sign of a movie that takes itself way too seriously um, that it it's too self-conscious about being a serious, important, dramatic movie to let there be any levity whatsoever, ever, in any movie, in any part of the movie. It's a movie that is like, don't you dare enjoy this. God forbid you enjoy this movie in any way. Um, it's so self-serious. It's exactly, you know, I... I was on the verge of when i saw uh john michael mcdonald's the forgiven which i know a lot of people don't like but i was on the verge of applauding jessica chastain from coming out of her really bad streak of picking uh, uh projects because at least the forgiven however you feel about it was something a little weird and, and different um but here she is back at doing the important movie thing you know this is just as bad as miss sloan um uh and and from the editor any red main uh point of view it's i'm not gonna say it's just as bad as the danish girl because come on <laughs> few movies are that bad but uh it's still the, these these two just the technically gifted actors but um well she is uh but i don't 
understand how they pick projects get new representation i swear it's uh it's a bad sign when you're when you're assigned a movie is not worth your time um so that is the worst movie i saw the good nurse oof and then I ended uh, with a movie I knew nothing about, but just had a hole in my schedule and decided to go to a press and industry screening of a South African movie called The Umbrella Men, which is a um, uh, a bank heist movie. Um, and it mostly borrows from and then waters down things you've seen in other better heist movies and heist comedies um the uh the thing that is specific about it that i like is that it specifically um takes place during the cape town carnival um uh, carnival where uh and and the group of robbers are musicians who march as a band together in the in the carnival and so that there's, that means there's a lot of scenes of people just playing music, which is generally something that I like to see in movies. <laughs> um, uh, people playing music, dancing to music, singing. I always like, um, pretty much always like those things in in, in movies. Um, uh, and there's also the specifics of the robbery taking place the day of the carnival and like tying that in. That makes that gives it its own stamp. That it's not just a, not just fully another heist comedy. It is something that is. Uh, that that has a a specificity to it um but i still can't really it's not bad in any way it's just sort of like mostly superficial mostly phoned in um so those are the movies that i saw at tiff this year i can't believe i went an hour um what a fucking windbag i am even without tyler here um or or without um our guest who had a very good reason for uh, having to cancel last minute don't get mad at this guest you don't know who it is um uh but that's what i used to it's it's uh you can no don't get mad at anybody um but we i used to always have angie han um do the tiff wrap-ups and the sundance wrap-ups with me now she like covers tv exclusively and it's great for her uh or not entirely exclusively but um she didn't go to tiff is what i'm saying uh but that was always great because that was how i could sneak in like talking about all my you know uh foreign artsy fartsy movies (laughs) and still get some uh coverage of the big tiff premieres uh i didn't have that this time um i couldn't steal that from angie this time or from other our guest who had to cancel um but i hope you enjoyed hearing about the movies that i did see anyway um and i hope you keep some of them on your radar and keep some of them off your radar until then, um, until next time, you can find uh, me at battleshipretention.com. You can find the reviews of some of these movies uh, forthcoming, um, all these movies forthcoming at battleshipretention.com. Um, other reviews, other stuff. It's also, you can find another link to Tyler's GoFundMe at battleshipretention.com on the, on the front page there. Um, you can email me at david at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at davypretension. Um, that's Davey with an EY. I never say that. Davey with an EY pretension. And uh, make sure to please check out my other podcast. It's called The One Where I Met Your Mother. And it's a, pod- a podcast in which my uh, wife and I watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week and talk about what was going on on those episodes. This week, uh, oh, uh, there's a tiny t shirt. And. Um, also lily tried to sell some of her art so those are the things that happen on those two shows uh check that out thank you for listening and we'll get you next time bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.